10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. Coming up, a fascinating visit with A-State tennis coach Sujay Lama. He was hired not even three months ago, but Bobo had uh, kind of sold this guy as a candidate for the most interesting man in the world. And I got to tell you, you're right. He is a very (laughs) great story. Yeah, stick around. I'd say check your preconceived notions about talking college tennis at the door because you're going to want to get to know Sujay Lama. Also coming up, we'll recap the basketball season openers and everything else happening in the world of A-State athletics. But want to start with football and what a day it was on Saturday, hosting the Raging Cajuns, Red Wolves with the best win in a long while. Probably the best win since the Kansas State win. I, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I would probably go along with you on that. 37-17, the final score over a good Cajun team that came in 5-3. and three, And we're coming off their most impressive win. They had gone into Mobile the week before and beat South Alabama 33-20. to But this game was completely dominated in every phase by the Red Wolves. And with the win, they improved to 5-4 and four overall, 3-2 and two in conference play. And I brought this up on the TV show with Coach on Sunday, we sat down to record it, and you look down at the box scores and put them side by side from the game in Lafayette last year to the game that was played on Saturday. Lafayette won that game 38-18 to last year. They dominated the time of possession. They killed us on third down. We were 0-11 for on third down in that game. The rushing yards were way in the favor of the Cajuns that day. And then you look at what happened on Saturday. Same thing, 20-point difference, 37-17. And the Red Wolves had the ball 35 minutes. They were 9 of 16 on third down. 232 rushing yards for the Red Wolves, the most in a conference game since 2018. And all week long, we were talking about how good the Cajuns' rushing attack was. They were 11th in the country in rushing, averaging 214 a game on the ground. We held them to 64 rushing yards, which was their fewest amount of rushing yards in a game since 2016. That's telling you that the Red Wolves just dominated the line of scrimmage. You don't ever kind of, I guess, exhale till it's over. I understand how these coaches are like that now because it's one of those that when it's over, I'll see you look back and say, gosh, we won that game handily. And, and I know we got a lot of first and second year players, but we've got some guys that have been around a while. So for anybody on our roster, that's their first win against that bunch. Yeah, we had lost the last five against the Cajuns, and really nice to be able to end that losing streak. One part of the game that I thought really set the tone was our kickoff coverage. My goodness, there were some big hits, and we made the comment at one point during the broadcast, that was as exciting as any part of the game the other night was seeing our guys get down on kickoff it was all kinds of different guys brandon grile made a huge hit on the very first kickoff of the game eddie smith had a huge lick gavin potter had everybody ooing and on with his hit in the second half aj beal one of the younger players had a big hit on special teams and when that's happening it seems like everybody else on that sideline is feeding off that kind of energy Against, right, and he spent a lot of time last week, Coach Jones did. I know he talked about it at length at his coach's show last week on the radio that, you know, he thought this Lafayette bunch was maybe the best they'd seen this year on special teams. And so to go and even kind of win that part of the game and then get the special teams player of the week, it was a good, good performance. We'll talk later about, at the end, we'll maybe bring up how disappointed it is that we haven't talked enough about that performance coming out of that game and what we've spent time talking about instead. But Mm -hmm. it was fun to watch this team clicking in all three phases and give you a sign of what things can look like. Yeah, you mentioned the special teams player of the week. That went to Dominic Zavada, second time this season that he's won that award. He was three of three on his field goals on the day and made all four of his extra points. And how cool was it to cap it off with 
a defensive touchdown. The strip sack at the end by Keyron Crawford and then Javante Mackey scoops it up, gets the scoop and score to cement the victory. And Again, A-State wins 37-17. They've won five of the last seven, and they're one win away now from becoming bowl eligible for the first time since 2019. After two weeks, I can tell you there weren't a whole lot of people... that thought this team would be in this position. But uh, here they are, and you got to tip your cap to this coaching staff, these players. They have completely bought in, and they believe at this point. And they're playing some really, really good football. Come quite a ways since 110 to 3. And this is the one, like, it's. I'll be interested to see what the residual effect of this win is. Because you look at, okay, four wins already eclipsed the win total of the previous two seasons. But you beat the four teams on your schedule, you probably would say, hey, if we're going to have a successful season, we got to win these four games right here for sure. Mm-hmm. This is the first one where you're over a touchdown underdog at home. And... You know, against a team you haven't beaten in a while and a team with a winning record. And so this feels different than maybe yeah. any of those other four. Again, the Red Wolves now 5-4 and four on the season. We'll talk about the matchup ahead this weekend at South Alabama a little bit later on. But when we come back, we'll be joined by A-State tennis coach Sujay Lama. You're going to want to hear this here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. This is Coach Butch Jones, and we need you to help our A-State athletic programs by donating to the Impact Club. This is an organization that is making a real difference in the lives of our student-athletes. Make a monthly commitment and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access that you will not find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at impactclub.com. That's impact spelled I-M-P-A-C-K-T club.com. Your support is greatly appreciated and is helping our program right now wolves up. and we welcome you back into the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank we are pleased to be joined in studio by our very special guest today the eighth head coach in a state tennis history he was hired back on august 16th welcome into the studio sujay lama how you doing coach thank you matt and brad good to be here beautiful day outside and today was a day off so, yeah. You need to be out playing tennis on a day like this. You know, we've got to really cherish these days because I hear the winter months are a little bit cooler here. So, no, it's beautiful. I actually went for a nice walk, long walk on a Sunday at the Craighead Park. Yeah. Right? Beautiful, gorgeous. And I spent about two, two and a half hours just, you know, exploring the natural state. I'll tell you, we're going to finish this podcast and Coach is going to be up and running for new most interesting man in the world. I would tell you, I've, I've had a chance to visit with him actually even right before he was named the coach here. And he's got some fascinating tales to tell. That's why we wanted to hurry up and get him in the hot seat. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I, I met you uh, when I was here in the interview process. And I think yep. we had breakfast. And so not to bounce around because I, I but, see well, the notes. We do here. that around here, though. We, it, we bounce around. So coaches from. And I'm, I'm going to just kind of set up and let you roll here because you're from Nepal where, am I right, your father literally introduced tennis to the nation. No, absolutely. Yeah. He was one of the pioneers and if not the pioneer. And uh, he was of the Nepalese origin, but he was born in Burma, which is Myanmar. And so the Brits had, you know, colonized Myanmar. And so that's how he, you know, was introduced to the game because the Brits were playing some tennis in Myanmar. So when, you know, the uh, new uh, government came there, there was the socialist regime that came. And and all of a sudden, you know, my dad decided to go back to Nepal. Uh, When he got to Nepal, you know, he saw there was not a whole lot of tennis uh, out there. And there was, I think, maybe two hotels that had a few tennis courts. And so, you know, he decided, hey, you know what, I want to get 
into this. I'm going to dig in deep here. And so he went to India and then learned how to build clay courts, red clay courts. So he comes back to Nepal and basically builds uh, five red tennis clay courts. And yeah, that was it. That was the start of uh, pretty much tennis in Nepal. Well, okay. We're from the Western world here. So when we think Nepal... We think mountain climbing. I'm wondering just how many other sports are there in Nepal? What's popular over yeah, there? That's a great point because everybody that whenever I say, you know, I was born in Nepal and kind of grew up a little bit in Nepal, they go, what? You play tennis in Nepal? Because they're only looking at mountains, which I mean, rightfully so, because we have nine out of the 14 highest mountains in the world, including the highest mountain in the world. But <laughs> like the rest of the world, of course, I mean, soccer or, you know, football, that's called, I think that's the main one basically. And because, you know, Nepal's a poor country and tennis is not for the poor people, right? I mean, it's a very expensive sport, tennis and golf. But um, yeah, I mean, cricket is also big. And Nepal, yeah, it's gotten much more bigger than it was when I was growing up. But yeah, it's a tough sport because of the expenses that, you know, that's, you know, endured in that process of becoming a tennis player. And here too, the other thing is interesting in telling the story, and I didn't hear the part the, the first time, kind of the first time I heard that when your dad put in courts, they were clay courts, because the truth is here, we never see those. Like we're going to watch them play on clay courts in the French Open and that's about it. So like, why was that the surface? Or because like most of us are never going to probably ever step foot on a clay court. Yeah, I mean, the rest of the world, really, I mean, there's a lot more clay courts and hard courts. I mean, number one, I think it's easier to maintain, I think, and also to build, and I think cost-wise also. But, uh, yeah, the red clay, I mean, it's a fascinating surface because it's a little bit slower. I mean, you've got to really be a good problem solver. I personally believe that, I mean, if you want to be a good tennis player, you should start on the clay court because here in the States, the American style, I mean, it's all about power, right? Like, surplus one or return plus one and and so the typical american players they want to end the points you know with one or two shots whereas when you start playing clay court you realize you just can't finish up in one or two shots so you got to really think and you got to really really you know build the point and so a lot of this you know you see a lot of these europeans like djokovic and you know federers of the world sinner i mean there's so many you know rublevs i think one of the advantages these european players have is that during the summer they play on this slower surface so they are really working on point construction and then during the winters, they go indoors to the faster, like carpets or hard courts, right? And so they have the perfect balance of, you know, playing on fast surface as well as slow surface. Whereas in America, I mean, you go to Florida, yeah, you're going to get a, some, some of this green clay, which is a little faster than the red clay. But for most part, we're playing hard court tennis. And so, yeah, it's, it's tested the American tennis. You know, it's interesting you say that because you look at American tennis over the last two decades now and very seldom have you seen a grand slam winner it's been a long time and it's been good to see some guys kind of step up the last couple of years and go deeper into these grand slams but you look at Alvarez and Djokovic and obviously Rafa Nadal I mean these you talk about maybe why these guys succeed and it's because of what they're playing on in the offseason absolutely the last Grand Slam champion for men's from America was Andy Roddick and it's been 20 years Mm. can you believe it that's a long, long drought, right? I mean, but no, absolutely. And I think this younger guys now, like, you know, Ben Shelton and Taylor Man, Fritz. he hits it hard. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I've gotten to actually you know, know Ben since he was a little kid because his father is one of my best friends, uh, Brian Shelton, who was the head coach at Florida. And before that, he was at Georgia Tech. He won actually a national championship as a coach for the women's program at Georgia Tech and went to Florida and won the men's title out there. He's the only guy that has done both in the men's and the women's. Great family, but great athlete too. Good mover. But Tommy Paul, uh, Taylor Fritz, Tiafo, yeah, these are the guys that actually when player development, the USDA player development got them hold up when they were young, they realized, okay, we need to get these guys out there on the clay courts. And so these guys played a lot of tournaments on the red clay in Europe. And so now we are benefiting from their results. It's because they really put a concentrated effort in trying to educate them to play the total game. So back to you, your your dad is tennis pioneer in Nepal, which doesn't mean that you either have to A, like tennis, or B, be any good at it. It just so happens that I guess A and B were both true. You liked it and you were good at it. 
Yeah, well, I had no choice, right? I mean, my brothers, both of them played. My sister played. <laughs> my dad played. My mom played. And, of course, you know, they were all national champions because it was a small pool of people that played national champions. They won the family tournament. Absolutely. That was like, you know, so when I grew up, I was like, okay, I better be a national champion. No, but where the turning point was really was my oldest brother, you know, going to America and coming to America and training with Welby Van Hahn and I, I believe up in the Northeast, uh, Connecticut, a great coach out there. And then he started playing pro tennis and teaching and playing pro. And so he got to about like 500, 600 in the world. But that was, you know, the max he got. And then from that point onwards, he started coaching. And then he eventually moved to Germany. And that's when I was about 16, 15 years old. That's when my brother gave me the opportunity to train with him in Germany. And he gave me a one-way ticket and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you this opportunity, but you better do a good job because you better listen to me. Otherwise, I'm going to put you in that flight home again. And so that's where really my development as a tennis player came in Germany. And that was when Boris Becker and Steffi Graf. Oh, yeah. That was the era, right? I mean, there was a boom, boom tennis out there and, and it was blooming out there. And there was a lot of competition, a lot of tournaments every weekend. And I got to train at a very high level with my brother. So a lot of credit to my brother who really gave me that opportunity, number one. And number two, like, really put me to the grind. Like you talk about suffering, right? One of the things I always say is that to be good, you have to learn to suffer. Well, he taught me how to suffer. But I also believe that to be great, you have to love to suffer. You know, and that's, I think, where was my foundation of my coaching too is, you know, I went through that process of learning how to suffer and then eventually loving how to suffer, you know, because that's what sports all about, right? Mental and physical suffering. Yeah, so a lot of credit to my brother. You could say that for fans too. You got to love how to suffer. <laughs> That's uh, no, and then you can no, appreciate it that much more. Yeah, especially the Rangers fan. Ooh, Absolutely. Like, yeah. oh, boy. And, and I'm a lifelong Ranger fan. Yeah. You're a Ranger fan too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. 17 years in the DFW area, you know, you get to really like support these um, these teams there and of course of course this past weekend that heartbreaking Cowboys loss didn't help, but <laughs> Uh, at least the A-State football team won, so I was yeah. really excited about that. Brad, he gave me a heads up on this. You threw out the first pitch a few years ago at a Ranger game, right? You know, that's crazy, isn't it? Here's a kid from Nepal getting a chance to throw a first pitch. Like, how you know, how possible is that? It's impossible, right? But, yeah, one day I was called by the uh, marketing department at UNT where I was working, and they said, hey, coach, you know, you're throwing the— first pitch at the Rangers game. I was like, you're right. This is the biggest joke. And he goes, no, no, seriously. I was like, okay, well, I mean, great prank. And I hung up. And then the next morning I went to my 80s office and I said, hey, I think Gabe was trying to play a little prank with me, but is there any like possibility that I'm actually throwing the first pitch? And Rick Villarreal at the time was the AD and says, yeah, Sujay, you know, we've selected you to represent North Texas because North Texas Day is on that day. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I had been a finalist for the, I think, Giant Award or whatever with the NCAs. There was like four finalists for coaches that were successful both, you know, with their teams that year and as well as who had done some stuff outside of uh, of the work, you know, some social work. And and I was one of like four and I think the three were like like big names in like football and basketball. And I don't, I don't know how I became a finalist. So I think that, as, and then also I think that year we did a nice job with our team. I think we, might have won conference or got to the finals or something. So anyway, I was really, really, um, you know, humbled and, you know, by the opportunity to be there. And there I was, and I had no idea how high that mound is and how far <laughs> that catcher is until you get there. And there, you know, was my team, was with me, my family, they were right down on the field. And You got um, all the way on top of the mound? Yeah, I did. Yes, right. I did. And I threw it. And you know what? I, catcher made me look good because I think the ball was going to hit the dirt. But, but it was one of those experiences that you go, wow, you know, you pinch yourself and you go, you know, well, how blessed I am, how lucky I am. And, and that's my life. My whole life story is full of blessings. We've got that in common. He, right? he threw a first pitch, too. I was seven years old when I did it. So it was nearly 40 years ago in the old Arlington Stadium. That's but, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, I probably didn't appreciate it at the time like you did when when you threw it out, though. No, absolutely. It was something else. And, and uh, yeah, one that I'll never forget, you know, for the rest of my life. And then yeah, I became a Rangers fan. And, yeah, we had that heartbreaking World Series when they were when one out. When was that one? Uh, I, you know, I pitched, I think, about a year, two years before that, those runs that they had for those two World Series. Um 
But that heartbreaking loss was, I think you probably, Matt, you would probably know that. The oh, one, I know all too Cardinals, well. Against oh, the Cardinals? It was well against, oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here's, yeah. Here's the deal, Coach. And he led you right into that on purpose because you're living right in the middle of Cardinal country now. And one of the many reasons why it was great to see the Rangers win the World Series was after 12 years, we can finally stop hearing about this from all these Cardinal fans. That's to say, I mean, congratulations. On your World Series, that's really, that's awesome. And if you win the next 10 in a row, we'll be tied. <laughs> hey, Coach, you said life is full of blessings. This is an interesting one. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, let you fill in the blanks. You're from Nepal. Your wife is from? Malaysia. And you guys met in? Luther College, Decorah, Iowa. <laughs> of course. Makes all the sense in the world. So you were in Germany when you were 16, right? Yeah. When did it start to become a possibility that you would go to Iowa, go to school, play tennis, and eventually meet your future wife? Yeah, great question, right? And you talk about life and how you know it, it kind of goes in different directions. So when I finished my 10th grade, I was really getting serious into tennis. And so I took two years off just to play tennis. And I was top 50 in the world. And we were I qualified for Wimbledon, main draw. And literally like three days before we were taking a flight that was booked and I was in the main draw already at Wimbledon and we were about to take off. I hurt myself. You know, I had a um, meniscus tear and then an infection. So that kind of completely changed the course of my life because I was out for like about six, nine months. And when I went back to Nepal, one of my mentors was Terry Miller. Dr. Terry Miller was working for World Health Organization with the United Nations and she was an American lady and she was one of my mentors. And so she dragged me to Lincoln High School, which is a high school for expats. So most of the Americans working, you know, in Nepal went there. And so she got me a scholarship and said, you know, until you get well, you need to go and try to finish your 11th and 12th grade. And I was like, oh, no way. I've been out of school for two years. I don't want to go back. And she literally forced me. And I think that kind of changed the whole course of life because, you know, my second year there, the dean for admissions at Luther College was recruiting 200 international students from all over the world to diversify Luther College, which is a very, very Norwegian-based, so Scandinavian-based college. I mean, so everybody is like blonde hair, blue-eyed. <laughs> and so I think this new president, Anderson, wanted to diversify. So this guy went all over the world, met me in Nepal, met my wife in Malaysia, and recruited us. And all we wanted was to come to the States. And I never knew about Div 1, Div 2, Div 3. I just said, hey, look, if you give me a scholarship, which I heard you guys give scholarship, sign me up. And that was it. And a couple of weeks later, I got a nice package, you know, and the rest is history. Met Lynn there, and now, you know, we've had uh, two beautiful kids. One is at Butler University playing D1 tennis, and then the other one, Priya, is uh, just graduated from Colby College up in the Northeast in Maine and starting her job in uh, San Francisco as a financial analyst. Now, before wow. anybody asks, I just want to clarify, your, your freshman at Butler is your son. So don't worry. It's not like you, you, you don't have a daughter playing college tennis somewhere else. It's your son who's gotten his college career going. Yeah, he, he's a dog. Yeah, he's a bulldog and, and loves it out there. And yeah, it's getting cold out there, though. That's what he tells me. One thing I read was that you've been to 50 different countries. You have spent at least five years of your life on three different continents, which is amazing in itself. And how many languages do you speak? I speak four languages, Nepalese, I speak Hindi, and Hindi and Urdu, I mean, so are kind of similar, German and English, and my wife speaks four languages. So yeah, we speak eight languages, but our only common language is English. And our really? kids are spoiled, you know, because in the States, you know, the, the English is such a powerful language that this, you know, we get into this, like, wherever we go, everybody speaks English. So our kids try to learn some uh, Chinese and, and some um, Spanish, but they never follow through, unfortunately. So if you're going to... We can't call them out. No, I, mean, no, I was going to say, if, if you're going to say something, I'd say under your breath, but something you don't want your wife to... Here or no, you're gonna what language you're gonna say it Nepalese. in? Nepalese. And what about her? If she didn't want you to know. Oh my goodness, she has so many dialects. She's got Mandarin, Cantonese, Hainanese. I think she'll go with Hainanese. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but it was a blessing. I mean, I you know traveling and just you know being all over the world and, and multiple times too. So blessed, and you know the coaching that uh, the opportunity I had to travel with you know players on the tour and also on the junior tour was amazing. I mean, to have done. 14 Grand Slams. I mean, you know, I went to Australian Open three times. I mean, French Open, you know, Wimbledon. And from recruiting also, I've been to, you know, places like Romania and Czech Republic and Ukraine and Russia. And, you know, just uh, incredible. I mean, and, you know, one thing is that this world is beautiful. So you were a personal coach for a lot of the professional women's players, right? Yeah, I worked in a very big academy, tennis academy called the Vandermeer Tennis Academy in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina for about four years. And uh, Dennis is one of the greatest coaches ever. I mean, bless his soul, he passed away a few years ago. But at that time that when I was out of college, I got that opportunity. And I used to work every summer for Dennis Vandermeer in Sweetbriar College in in Virginia. And so he always liked my work ethic. He loved my passion for coaching and, and uh, teaching. And, and he loved my passion for the game of tennis. And so he always told me, hey, you got a job when you graduate. And I had no plans, you know, in college that I was going to be a coach. I wanted to be like Terry Miller, Dr. Terry Miller. I wanted to work for United Nations. I wanted to. So my whole, you know, goal was in that line. But when I, when there was a recession, I got out of college I took a chance and went to Hilton Head and just fell in love with coaching. And then the next thing, you know, I got a chance to travel with junior players and then the professional players. And yeah, it's just one thing led to another. 28 years now in collegiate coaching. Loving it. Three years at Florida. Is that when you were with Brian Shelton? Uh, No, that's Andy Brandy, a legendary figure. And my first year as an assistant, I go there and Andy got to know me at the Australian Open. He was traveling with former NCAA champion Lisa Raymond, who won two NCAAs and became like, I think number one in the world in doubles. She became top 20 in the world. So Andy was still traveling partially. And I met Andy Brandy at the Hyatt Hotel. And we are going up in the elevator, 24th floor. And as I'm going up in the elevator, I looked at him and said, so you are the big time college coach, Coach Brandy. And he looked at me and said, Sujay, I know you too. And we shook hands and I said, hey, do you have a business card down the road? Maybe I'll be interested in college tennis. And he gave me the card and said, call me when you're ready. So a few years later, oh wow, you know, when I got my green card and I got married <laughs> and I wanted a little slower life than, you know, nine, 10 months out of a suitcase traveling the world, I call him and he says, perfect timing. My assistant's husband is going to be playing major league soccer in Colorado. So she's leaving. So why don't you and your wife, Lynn, come over and to Gainesville and, and visit with me and the AD and they offered me the job. And my first year at Florida, we go undefeated. Wow. We win singles NCAA championships, doubles NCAA championships, (laughs) SEC title, both tournament as well as the regular season. We win the national indoor championship and the national outdoor championship. (laughs) How about that for a start? (laughs) This is the easiest job ever. Exactly. I'm like, this is so easy. (laughs) Well, you're setting the bar pretty high. You can only go down from there, coach. But yeah, three years as an assistant there at Florida. Yeah. Eight years yeah. at Illinois. Yeah, Champaign, Illinois. Kids were born there. That's why they still like the winter. So both the kids, you know, it's not a coincidence that they you know, chose Maine and um, Indianapolis for their college education where it's kind of cold. But yeah. no, you know, that's a program that was like around 75 in the country. We took it to top 16, five NCAA championship appearances. We had singles and doubles players qualify for NCAs. Had a good run, great run, but it was a little too cold. You warmed up when you moved to Denton. You yeah. went to North Texas and were there for 17 years. You've been in the Sun Belt before when North Texas was still in the league, a three-time Sun Belt Coach of the Year. You were also the 2013 Jim Verdick College Coach of the Year by the Professional Tennis Registry, but a heck of a run. That's a long time to be at one place. Long time. And, you know, going to Texas, you never know, right? It's a it's a different country. And I, I remember, like, my first, I'm like going, man, this is a little different out here. And, and people are driving fast out there, you know. <laughs> Even the access road, people are driving 75, 85. It, I must say, it took me about a year and a half, two years to get used to Texas. No, but once we got used to it, you know, we loved our time in, in Texas. And but I think that, you know, what I really realize now is, like, how much I really love building 
you know, and, and I think that's why, like, I'm so excited every day right now, so fired up, you know, even like this is like my one, two, three, fourth rodeo, and it's been so much fun. I think I see it with so much more clarity in what I'm trying to do here. And I think I already kind of started having that clarity at, at UNT, and I think that's one of the reasons we were so successful. And even there, I mean, we had, you know, regional champions. Uh, we had amazing wins over Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, got some championships. Uh, we qualified, you know, singles and doubles to NCAs. And then it was such a amazing because I went to a program at UNT where I got late in, in the game, basically, and so like around August. And so first year, I didn't even get to recruit. So I had to recruit five walk-ons, five walk-ons from campus. So my first year, you know, we lost 19 matches, and I believe we lost 17 in a row. And I think we won two against like one banged up junior college team and I think one other team, I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> so I gave the same speech 19 times, right? But I kept them happy, I kept them motivated. And till today, I mean, those walk-ons, I mean, they still keep in touch with me, you know, but I told them, hey, look, you are gonna be the foundation. We're gonna build off of you and you're gonna help me recruit. And so, you know, that whole experience of building and giving hope, and that's what coaching is all about, right? And I think that's why I love what I do is I think I can impact people's lives and give them hope, you know? And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. And, and that's what the transition has been over here. I've got six kids and they have really like, you know, opened their eyes and opened their hearts to us. And yeah, it's been challenging because I've kind of got them out of their comfort zone. But even when we went to regional this year, I mean, we had 10 wins at regionals. We beat players from Arkansas. We beat players from Kansas State. We nearly upset Iowa State kid. And Iowa State got to the final eight last year. And then we also should have had a win over Nebraska. So when you see that, it's just, I mean, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing kids start to realize their potential and what they're capable of doing. For your players, and because you also, you, you talk about, you know, that North Texas job, you came in late in the game and didn't do a lot of recruiting. It's awfully similar to kind of the situation here. And for these kids, for a lot of them, I mean, you might be their third head coach in a calendar year, was it hard to kind of get them to trust you? No, absolutely. I mean, you really, your hearts go out for those kids, right? I mean, I mean, these guys, I mean, to go through that, especially, you know, I have like a couple of seniors, three seniors that have, I'm like their fourth coach. And, um, but I told them, look, you know, we can't change what has happened. What I can tell you is that God always puts all of us in different scenarios, right? And so even the experience you had for the last three years, that's also something that's gonna make you a better person. You know, that's character building. And even those experiences, you're gonna look down the road and say, hey, you know what? That was good for me, right? So what I want to do is I wanna give those seniors the best year of their collegiate career. And that's what I'm doing every single day. My goal was from day one is like, number one, recruit the six people, make them feel special, make them feel wanted, make them feel like they're gonna turn things around, make them feel that they're gonna leave behind a legacy. I want them to look back down the road and say, you know what, hey, we were the first class, we did something special out there. And so, yeah, absolutely, that's been what I have been doing. And then the second thing I've been doing is just recruiting, you know, recruiting like crazy. And, and we have verbal commitment for two really, really outstanding players for January, and hopefully they'll be here in January. And I think that's gonna really, really add to what we've already done with the six young people over here and then yeah we're recruiting for you know next fall and we actually have a five-star american kid out of texas that's flying in next week you know for an official visit so i'm really excited about that future is bright for a state tennis all right before we get out of here because i've got a couple of questions yeah, too, I do just too. Randoms. yeah but that's what we'll see if we overlap here because i'm just gonna go with two I won't even say the best because maybe it wouldn't be the biggest name. So give me the biggest name player you played against. Martina Navratilova. Played against. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, she was preparing for Wimbledon. I had no idea. I got a phone call and said, hey, you have hitting with Martina at Port Royal Plantation on the grass court. And I said, who is this Martina that I need to do a lesson on a Sunday? <laughs> so they said, hey, call Pat Vandermeer, my boss. And so, you know, I said, is she in the office? So I walked to the office. I said, Pat, tomorrow's my day off. Why do you want me to go across town on a grass court to hit with Martina? Sujay, I thought you would love playing a match against Martina Navratilova. 
I nearly fell like fell down. <laughs> How did that match go? Oh, four and four. I lost. That was my first time in my life playing on a grass court. And Martina, I had one break point. I hit the best return of serve right at her shoelaces, and she hit a backhand winner. That was it. <laughs> she broke me one time, both both sets. I lost four and four. But here's a great story. She loves mountains. So I took a book on mountains in Nepal. Uh-huh. I took a Nepalese flag. And I gave it to her, and she was thrilled. And she gave me a pair of her shoes after practice. A year later, I was at the U.S. Open, and I was in a line where all the players' lounges, and we were collecting tickets. And there was Martina in the front of the line, and she was walking back when we had our eye contact. And she said, I said, hi, Martina. And she looked at me, and she said, hey, Sujay. And I was like, what? She knows who I am. You know my name? (laughs) Of course. You're from Nepal. (laughs) My last one then is... This would be no matter where it was, right? Whether it was coaching, you know, when you're with pro, whatever. Who's the best you've ever seen on the court, like performing? Sure. Oh my goodness! Wow. I mean, I would say um, Roger. So out Roger. of the big three, you'd take Roger. Yeah, to watch Roger is like you're watching a ballerina there out there, you know, and so and graceful. I mean, yeah, so graceful. And I've been blessed. I've seen them all live. I was a big fan of Agassi too. I, I really liked Agassi, you know, and so a lot of times when I would travel in the Grand Slams, you know, whenever I had time, I would just go to the practice courts, you know, watch some of those great players, you know, and, and, and just kind of listen to the coaches and, I just, I, I still, every year, I mean, this was my first year in a long time I that I didn't go to U.S. Open. I think COVID year was the other one. But this year, because of just, you know, getting this job so late, didn't get to go. But I still go to U.S. Open every year. And I just love spending six, seven days just walking around, watching the pros. And yeah, I like to watch the matches, but I, I like to watch them practice too. That's back when American tennis was really, really good when you had Sampras and Agassi. Amazing. Both at the top of their games. Yeah, Michael Chang, Jim Courier. Yeah. I mean, wow. You know, and then before that, you had the you know McEnroe's and, and Jimmy Connors, and yeah, that was the golden era, right? But it's become global. I mean, everything is global now. You've been to them all. So if I had to plan a vacation to go to one of the Grand Slams, Australian, French, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, which one? Vacation, Australian Open. Absolutely. If you want to just have a great time. But if you are saying, okay, I've got this one chance to just live something so special, Wimbledon. It's the Mecca. I can't imagine it. It's the Mecca. The tradition, the details, like you get like basically like it's this just amazing. And, you know, I never got to play at Wimbledon as a player, but I remember one year we went the week earlier and my friend Charlton Eagle, who was another coach, an Australian guy, is like, hey, Charlton, let's go down there. There's a court available. Let's hop in there and hit a few balls. And we were hitting the balls because I wanted to, like, touch the grass and feel the grass. And then 15 minutes later, this gentleman comes and says, excuse me, you need to get out of this court. And we were like, oh, I'm sorry. Because we didn't have all white. Even to <laughs> practice, right. you had to wear all white. <laughs> but no, it's absolutely strawberries and cream. And oh, it's, it's magnificent, you know. And so if you ever plan to go to Wimbledon, let me know. Because I know some really good tricks to get tickets there. Which is very difficult, by the way. They camp overnight sometimes, you know, just to get a grounds pass. But I, I, I found a few tricks to get some tickets there. Life hack. Yeah. That's what he's got. <laughs> Coach, this has been fascinating. Really, really nice to get to know you a little bit. We couldn't be more thrilled that you're here at Arkansas State. No, thank you. And again, like I said, I've just loved every minute I've been here. A lot of reasons I came here, but I came for the people, really. You know, Jeff, Amy, they were the ones that started, but all the people, the administration, the other coaches. I just went today to the track coach, you know, to congratulate him on his um, all the success he's had. And he's extension. had a lot. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I wanted him to come and talk to my team and, you know, share his experience about, you know, what is what it's all about being a championship program. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, it's it's relationships, right? I mean, life is really about relationships and college athletics after doing this for 27, this is my 28th year of doing is it's relationships, you know, and, and everybody is like somehow tied together 
for the success of your program. So you guys are as important as people that are helping us, you know, in the business office, as people who are in the um, sports information department. So everything, you know, a great athletic program is is when everybody works together. And I think that's, you know, what I'm sensing here with what Jeff is doing here. And I think uh, you can see, I mean, there's nice momentum. And I'm just so happy that even football is now, you know, back, you know, doing great. And on the way back from Lafayette with my team, I mean, I was, you know, locked into that listening to you live and just really uh, feeling those vibrations. That's A-State tennis coach Sujay Lama joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Red Wolf fans, this is Demario Davis, proud Red Wolf and linebacker for the New Orleans Saints. And I'm asking you to help out our current A-State student athletes by donating to the Impact Club. This organization helps our program stay competitive and supports our players by facilitating NIL agreements that allow them to endorse local charities, make a monthly commitment, and get access to team newsletters, special gear, and exclusive access you won't find anywhere else. Find out more and give today at Impact club.com thank you and wolves up basketball season tipped off on monday night both the men and the women were on the road the brian hodson era beginning in madison wisconsin wisconsin winning that one 105 to 76 a much faster pace at least on the wisconsin side than what we expected in that game they're traditionally known as a team that likes to slow it down but they really had no interest in doing that the other night they wanted to run just like the red wolves did and to their credit they were hitting their shots they were able to get a lot of shots around the basket and they ended up shooting 65 percent on the night freddie hicks with a game high 21 points in that game but look coach hodson talked about it with us right after he was hired he said i'm going to schedule tough i want these guys to be challenged in non-conference and we may look back at the end of the year and see that wisconsin was the toughest team on the schedule hope right i hope that's you know at this point i hope they meet again for the national championship the red wolves were without five scholarship players in that game including terrence ford who is getting close I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in this yep. fast-paced offense. And then Ledoux LeCou, who had to serve a one-game suspension from the NCAA. But uh, it would have been nice to have his size come in and back up Isaiah Nelson on Monday night, especially after Isaiah picked up a couple of quick fouls in the first five minutes of the game. You just didn't have that size to kind of counter what Wisconsin had inside. I mean, look, you knew what you signed up for. Now, maybe not the style, right? That was a surprise. But you knew you're going to take on a big, talented team in front of a big crowd on opening night. I mean, not a lot of surprises coming out of that, I would imagine, for Coach Hudson and the crew. Red Wolves will be back in action Saturday looking for that first win at Bowling Green. This is part of the Sunbelt Mac Challenge. This is the first part of the challenge. The back end of the challenge will be played later on in the season, kind of in the middle of conference play, but tip-off at 11 a.m. That will be broadcast on the Ticket Radio Network. That's because we've got the football broadcast going on Saturday as well. But, uh, again, 11 a.m. the tip time Saturday as the Red Wolves are on the road against Bowling Green. The women's team played their season opener Monday night at South Dakota State. Ended up falling short in this one, 55-42. to 42. This was a close game most of the way, but Red Wolves shoot just 22% on the night. So let's talk about this. All you had to do is look at the men's schedule and see Wisconsin, and you automatically go, ooh, that's going to be a tough one. Same's true for the women, even though you might not have read the schedule and went, ooh, South Dakota State, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, South Dakota State is and has been for a long time a really good women's basketball program. That's a pretty big bite to bite off on opening night to take a hard trip there and play a really good team. And honestly, this is a game you thought the score may have been up in the neighborhood of the men's game. 
and the exact opposite happened. It turned into a defensive slugfest, and I, I think the last team to hold South Dakota State to as few points as as we did the other night was Mississippi State up there a few years back. So there was a lot to like, especially on the defensive end, because I know just like the men, the women think they have kids who are going to make shots. And so I, I think you know, Coach Dez and the bunch have to like a lot about what they did defensively. And, and right now I would remind you, if you're listening to this, it, it's time to get those season tickets because after uh, that one, now they play nine of the next ten at home. Home opener coming up Thursday, 11 a.m. as Northern Illinois comes to town. We've got a lot That's the Max Sunbelt Challenge. A lot of schools coming in for this. When you were telling me before we started recording, 13 different schools are committed to this? 13 schools say they're bringing in uh, what's supposed to be just a hair over 2,000 kids. We've got them all assigned a place to sit, and it'll be loud there's just literally i mean it's no exaggeration there just literally is a buzz in an arena on a, an elementary skill school day or education day as we're calling it and so hopefully that buzz translates into a shot in the arm for look i mean there's there's gonna be good guys wearing red and black adidas uniforms and bad guys wearing red and black adidas uniforms so hopefully uh the good guys in the scarlet and black will Feed off that crowd Thursday morning. A few other notes from some of the other sports on campus. Volleyball did win their match over ULM on Friday. That was in Monroe. But they dropped the finale on Saturday against the Warhawks. And that loss ended up ending a 44-match win streak for A-State over the Warhawks. 44 matches, and that dates back to, I think, 1986. Is that right? It was still northeastern Louisiana. Goodness the, the Indians beat the Indians. I guess it had to end at some point. It did, but I'm sure they didn't want it to be on Saturday. A-State uh, now 13-13 and 13 overall. They're 3-11 and 11 in league play, and they're going to wrap up the regular season at home against Marshall Friday at 6 and Saturday at 1. And I'm excited. After all these years, I finally, on Friday night, and that's the only one I've got all year, but Friday night I finally have the TV call with Craig Cummings. And oh. we've never gotten to do one together. Well, that's exciting. So I'm I'm fired up about uh, getting in there Friday night with Coach Cummings. Kind of turn it over to him, don't you? That's absolutely. That's my philosophy anyway. I've said a long time broadcast. for a TV broadcast is the biggest takeaway I always want people to have after a TV broadcast I do is I want them to watch the game and go, but damn, that color guy, or that color analyst sure knew what they were talking about. And it'll <laughs> be easy to pull off Friday. That's the star on a TV broadcast. You want to be. You want to make them yeah. the star. Men's golf team wrapped up the fall schedule by finishing tied for sixth out of 18 teams at the Daniel Island Intercollegiate in Charleston, South Carolina. Coach Hagan continues to help that program roll on to success and looking forward to seeing what they can do coming up in the spring. Bowling will be back in action coming up in the Lady Jack Classic. That's in Kenosha, Wisconsin this weekend. I think cross country, they've got some folks going to regionals this weekend as well. Really enjoyed our visit last week with Mm -hmm. Coach Duvall and talked about that. But Saturday is... A-State football on the road, taking on South Alabama. You mentioned we ended the losing streak to the Cajuns, which was at five. We've lost four in a row now to South Alabama, and it's time to end that streak. Hopefully we can do that Saturday in Mobile. Kickoff at four o'clock, a chance to become bowl eligible. And South Alabama's tough to figure out because this is a team that, I'll tell you, I thought they were going to win the league this year. Yeah, me too. You know, they had won 10 games last year, and they returned more starters than anybody else in our conference, and probably as many starters that returned as anybody in the country. I know you and I are both big fans of Kane Womack and the job he's done so far, but, you know, they got off to the big start. They beat Oklahoma State, just routed them. Yeah, yeah. And still won. Exactly. Yeah, beat them bad. That game was basically over at halftime. But this is a team that's not in the position that they expected to be. They've gone four and five to this point. So now they're in a position where they've got to win two of the last three to become bowl eligible. So, you know, they're going to probably pull out all the stops this weekend. Should be fun. I mean, you got two teams probably in a little bit opposite head spaces. A-State is 
riding high, feeling good off its best performance of the year. And South Alabama comes in, again, overall things not going the way they thought it would go. And they've dropped, I, I think I saw somewhere that they've lost six in a row now to Troy. And that was their last game there. Battle for the belt they do there in the state of Alabama. So it'd be interesting to see kind of uh, what's going to be a, a really interesting game. I mean, it, I can't wait to see it. And I'm just uh, I'm really anxious to see how this team builds on its best performance, like I said, in, in a long time. Anything else? Well, I was going to say, I, I put this on Twitter, and, and it's not like any reaction to any one thing. The, what's funny is, you know, we've I've told you before, as a, administration, department heads, whatever you want to call it, we have a quick meeting on the field after a home game. Yeah. And I walked down to that meeting, and I told somebody, and it was actually Amy Foster, our CFO, I said, you know, it's amazing, and this was right after the game. My first comment to somebody is, it's amazing that when you get a crowd in here this size, which is smaller than the others had been or whatever, but when it gets like this, a lot of times it's the best, most active crowds we have because you're really down to the people who are who have bought in and they were into that game they made noise when they were needed to make noise it led to a penalty or two little things like there were times where i pulled back the range of something that was supposed to be happening because i noticed that crowd started the arkansas state red wolves chant on its own yeah so hey we're on the radio hey you're on the headset hold up a second let this thing go and so i was my first reaction literally is how good that crowd was and then all the conversation since it seemingly been about not who was there it's all been about who wasn't mm-hmm. and, and i'm not mad about anybody's thoughts or co- and, and i mean and coach jones was right to say what he said he's not wrong about what he said so i, I got no issue there but I just that wasn't to be your sure. first thought. It was not my my first thought was how good and into it that crowd was. Yeah, I thought they were good too. And so a lot of stuff will be done. It was, it was you know in the works anyway, and will continue to be done to ramp up next weekend, the 18th against Texas State, because the stakes will be high no matter what. No matter what happens this weekend, because there's even if we go down to beat South Alabama, right? You're already bowl eligible. There's a big difference between having seven wins, having six, or having a chance to win eight. So, I mean, the stakes are high next weekend, no matter what, period. Yeah. And so, you know, there are things we have to work against. We already know it's the front end of Thanksgiving break. But, you know, campus, and this is not a new development. Campus has really, the folks on campus have, have said all all along before the school year started that they would keep the residence halls open an extra day for students who want to stay for the football game mm-hmm. on the 18th before they close the residence halls for Thanksgiving break. So students, the on-campus students, if they want to stay one more night, we hope they will. And next week we can talk about some of the stuff involved with that. But listen, nobody wants more people there any more than I do. But I, I do want to make sure it, it, that when all the talk about everybody's talking about who wasn't there, I want to make sure that the ones who were there know that like they made a difference, in my opinion. It impacted that game. They definitely did, and they deserve credit for what they did the other day. And hopefully we can get everybody back that was there and a whole lot more coming up on the 18th for that home finale, Senior Day, against Texas State. do want to thank head tennis coach Sujay Lama for coming in. Really, really enjoyed that visit. Thanks to Mark Taylor for helping set that one up. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.